In this podcast, we have conversations about personal experiences with loss, grief, and unexplained spiritual encounters. Whether it's a dream, a visit, a vision, or a newfound life after loss, we believe life and love never dies. This is Surviving Death and Dying with Trisha and Misty. Every loss from death is unique to each individual. Losing parents may feel like losing your past. Losing a child might feel like you've lost your present and your future. Losing a sibling might make you feel like you've lost past, present, and future. Our guest today is my cousin. She's like a sister, Susan, from Atlanta. She has definitely had her share of grief with the death of her brother as a young adult and now the compounded stress as the primary caregiver to both parents who are dealing with dementia. And yet she manages to shine as a loving motivation to everyone around her. And for that, I really look up to her and respect her. Welcome, Susan. Oh, gee, thank you. (laughs) What an honorable introduction. Thank you for including me. Yes, absolutely. It's really wonderful to have you here. Trisha has siblings. Yes. And Trisha, all yours, they're older, but they're still alive, right? Yeah, I have three older siblings, so Mm -hmm. I haven't had that experience of losing a sibling. And I'm nervous to get that feeling when that does happen. But what is your story with losing your brother? Oh, well, you know, I... A complete shock, of course. I was, I'm trying to do the math. I was 27. Well, actually, I'll I'll go backwards just a little bit. When we moved to Orlando and my brother, who at the time was, gosh, 22, maybe 23, he came to live with us in Orlando. He was attending a master's program at uh, University of Central Florida. So he was studying his master's. So he needed a place to crash. We had this sweet little bungalow house, only about a mile exactly from Misty because we would walk our babies back and forth. That's right. (laughs) He pretty much spent the first year of my son's life with us. So, you know, Trish, when you're raised with a sibling, they're your best friends. They're your, um, they're your worst enemies. For sure. (laughs) Yes. They run the whole gamut. So you love each other fiercely. You fight fiercely. But, you know, again, it always goes back to you love them fiercely. And it was great to have him there with me for that year. When we decided we had to move to Atlanta for my husband's job, uh, my son, of course, he went with us. But um, Philip decided to go back to Indianapolis, where my folks were. They all three, my mom, dad, and brother all worked for the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. And he was, he worked in the IT department. He was very computer savvy. So he was working in their office and living in their home when he passed. Two weeks prior to his passing, we were up there, Michael and me, we went up there for a summer, kind of a little summer trip. My husband was not able to make this trip. Um, But we went up there, we went to see some extended family, and it was just a great time because my son was now back with his favorite uncle, his favorite person on the planet, and we had so many fun pictures from that time. 
And, you know, I, I remember pulling out of the driveway and waving goodbye. Sorry. It's okay. And that being the last time I saw him. But he, um, again, you just love him so fiercely. We got, uh, it was a Sunday and my husband worked at this time, at that time for the sports authority, a major sporting good chain. And I was at home with, with uh, little Michael and uh, we were just, we were in our apartment because, you know, we hadn't, we actually hadn't lived in Marietta very long. And my husband came home from work and it was a little early for a Sunday. He usually closed the store and I don't exactly remember what time it was, but he came through the door. And of course we were excited because daddy's home early. Yay, this is so great. Um, and he walked through the door and he um, said, I've got. I have to tell you something. And that's when he told me that my brother had died. I remember screaming, of course, in disbelief because I was just with him two weeks ago. What do you, what do you mean? He's he, no, he's not. What happened? So he calmed me down. He's like, well, we really don't know, but investigators want to talk to you. And, you know, all of that was just everything it was so confusing at that time. It's like, what happened? Why do investigators want to talk to me? What, what, what was he involved with? What did he do? But it was basically, my brother died in his sleep and no one knows why or, or how, or um, so just trying to piece things together. Again, it was a Sunday. My mom and dad had gone to church they went in, they woke up my brother and said, Hey, why don't you go to church? And my mom shared, she said, Hey, I, I think God would really like to see you today. She shared that with me. They left and went to church and Philip was awake. I mean, he acknowledged them at that time. Uh, they came home from church and he got up and had a little bite to eat. And then he went downstairs to the basement and my mom went and lay down and my dad went to a meeting at church. When my dad got home from the meeting, it was late in the afternoon, he went downstairs to put his stuff away. His study was in the basement and um, found my brother, who was, through his words, you know, very obviously had passed. Of course, they called the medics. And I mean, gosh, a 24-year-old, you don't, <laughs> they're going to work him even if they think that they, uh, you know, that there's no hope. They're still going to try to work him. I mean, that's just not, not a thing but he was um, pretty much dead on arrival. So trying to understand what had happened the day before he had been rollerblading and he rollerbladed. He was a very athletic, slender build kind of guy. He rollerbladed, gosh, I don't know, maybe five miles, maybe more, but he wasn't great at rehydrating. So his idea of, you know, hey, I just rollerbladed all this way. I'm going to go grab a Coke you know, instead of a Gatorade or right. something that we know. And to be honest, that's the only thing we can grab onto that possibly would have taken him would be the fact that it was just dehydration and not really appropriate electrolyte. We had autopsy, toxicology, all that kind of testing done just to see if we could get some sort of answer. I mean, it's not normal for a 20, an active, healthy 24-year-old to pass in their sleep. 
which of course the all those reports came back inconclusive, not showing anything. So it basically says that he died of natural causes. Yeah. It's hard because in human nature, we want something to blame. Yeah, we want someone or something to blame. We we need to have those answers, and that's probably what's been one of the hardest things is not having that and knowing why and knowing why that's one of the that's one of the big questions people say you know oh my gosh I've got so many questions when I get to the other side it's like wow why right that was the first one why so so do I (laughs) so do I (laughs) you're in your 20s your son Michael Mm -hmm. was a year old sorry yes I was 27 Michael was a year and a half and truly idolized his uncle Phil they were inseparable from the time he was a, from a little guy. I can see a lot of his uncle in him, yeah. even though they only spent such a short period of time on this side together. Right. Did you think it was meant to be that you went on vacation two weeks prior? You know, I'm thankful that I had that time. I really am. It was great to be with him. He didn't, he didn't travel with us around when we went to see some other family, but just to have those pictures with him. And we have a favorite picture of Michael in a backpack on my brother's back. He would do goofy things like that with Michael. He would, you know, (laughs) things that only a crazy uncle can do, you know, and I can say that because I had a crazy uncle, my uncle Gene. Right. (laughs) She's dad was my crazy uncle. (laughs) Right. That was my dad. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You know, it's really touching when you do explain and that year leading up to or that year and a half. And it is in a way poetic. It's almost like there was something else that knew this time is precious. The fact that he got to come live with you and be with Michael Mm -hmm. and the fact that you went to visit when you did is all pretty interesting, you know, and pretty poetic. Yeah. And it's very similar to me when I lost, was about to lose my dad. Yeah. I moved back home to help with everything there at home. So I understand that like it was meant for him to stay with you. It was meant for right you to go visit your family up there. Mm-hmm. The higher being knew you needed that one last time with him. Wow. Well, thank you for that gift of perspective because I've ne- I guess I've never really put all that together that way. When you look back on it now, the way you told it, Trish is exactly right. It's like something was, you know, a higher being or a higher power so that you would have that time. Mm-hmm. That's pretty beautiful. It is. It helps break through some of the anger. And as your parents dealing mm-hmm. with the loss of a child at this time must have been really hard. I know that from my perspective, I've seen both of them sure. handle things different ways. I know it's been eternally hard for your mom, mm-hmm. but your dad, I seem to remember that something pretty unique and special happened because my memory of him, and he was a minister, but he never liked the kind of stuff Trish and I like to talk about. He would uh-huh. talk about that kind of stuff, <laughs> the afterlife and spirits, even though he was a preacher and he talked to a God and the Bible and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. He was not one to talk about dreams and afterlife, but retell what I think I'm remembering about your dad and your brother. My dad, yes, ordained minister, very intelligent man, very analytical. He was known through his professional friends as the color commentary of the Bible. 
So he was very scholarly preacher's kids. We know our parents quite differently. I never knew him necessarily as a spiritual leader. He was always, he was always very big on academics. So, you know, when my brother passed, you feel your emotions, but then you kind of kick into gear that there is, you have to do X, Y, and Z. These things are, I guess, society prescribes that we have to do X, Y, and Z. So you go into a different mode where you're not really feeling so much. But during this time, my dad apparently had a dream. And I don't know if it was I actually now that I'm reflecting on it, I think it was the night that he passed. That sounds right to me. Yeah. The Sunday night that Philip had passed that afternoon, my dad had a visit from my brother that said, dad, I'm okay. Dad, I'm all right. I'm all right. And my dad shared this with me. I mean, that's not his normal personality to share that kind of stuff. No. Um, And whether he thought I needed to hear that or he, and I said, well, you know, oftentimes we do have dreams like that. And he said, no, this was not a dream, Susan. This was your brother. And I heard him as plain as if he was standing right here in the room with me. Dad, I'm okay. Dad, I'm fine. I remember him telling that story at the service or at when we were went up to visit. I don't know mm-hmm. at what point. I don't, I'm not saying he stood up at the podium and told it, but I yeah. remember him. <laughs> I remember being with you all and with the family going up there and him telling that story and just so confident that he came to me and he told me he's fine. And that was so, you could just tell for him that was so healing, but Mm -hmm. I still wonder, my question is why didn't your mom get that? Right. Because your mom really, really suffered and dealt with this so harshly. And I don't know if that was one of those two grief stricken that he couldn't get through to your mom. Right. Yeah. It was like me. I, it took me a while before I heard from my dad. I just recently heard from my dad remember? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it took a long time for me to get over my dad. I'm still dealing with that grief right now myself. Mm -hmm. Hearing your dad have that visitation from your brother, did that help heal you a little bit and your um, your mom? I can speak for myself in that it just gave me reassurance of things that I already feel, I guess, and the desire that I, you know, I, I look forward to being united with my brother. And I know that will happen, but it did lead me to what it's like, okay, I'm ready. I'm open. I want to hear something. I, I want, <laughs> I want communication from my brother. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. I know it was hard for my mom and gosh, it's not even something as a parent you want to think about. Right. You don't even want to entertain that thought. Right. But you know, we all three of us, my mom, my dad, myself, we poured so much of our love for my brother and to my son. And it's, that's why I think you will hear me say often, if I'm talking about Philip, I say Michael. And sometimes yep. if I say Michael, I say Philip. Yep. It's because of transferring so much of that, that love and that grief, I, you know, needs to go somewhere. So I right. think so much of that love went into Michael so that even my parents, 
transferred. And I don't want to say we ever stopped loving Philip because that's not, that's not true. It's just, you're left with a huge void. As you, as you both know, you're left with a huge void and you've got all this love and it's like, what do I do with this? It's, I can't give it to that. He's not here anymore. I can't hug him. I can't physically give it to him. So we just start pouring it into Michael. And it's been interesting throughout Michael's life to see how that's manifested to the point, you know, where sometimes I'll talk about Philip and I'll say Michael, and sometimes I'll talk about Michael and I'll say Philip. And so I'm just as guilty of doing that. It probably helped to be incredibly busy as a young mom, working, moving, having Mm -hmm. your new city. You probably felt you buried a lot of it. Yes. I think you've, you know, so, Mm -hmm. you know, that's one of the things we like to talk about for ideas for people is how you keep going. And it is interesting to me that one of the ways was to then turn that love toward who was there with you, you know, and that Mm -hmm. was Michael. And then Mm -hmm. later you Mm -hmm. had Emma. So you have, Mm -hmm. you know, you're a son and daughter and it's neat that Michael and Philip even had that time together that they did. Mm -hmm. And you've kind of hinted, I don't know if you have any other stories you want to share as Michael has been growing up where you've just felt a presence or something of Philip being around. I can think of three different instances and the night, I think it was the night that Philip died. I was sitting on the edge of the bed, numb numb as you as you only are after you get that kind of news and people I remember people being in the apartment buzzing around trying to help us make travel plans and get us up to Indianapolis as fast as possible and I would just remember sitting on the edge of my bed and feeling arms around me I don't I don't know whose arms they were. I don't think they were mine. I don't think I mean I might have, but you know, I just remember feeling arms around me um, and a little bit and in some degree of peace, knowing that was a hug from somebody. Was it a hug from God? Was it a hug from my brother? Was it a hug from uh, somebody else that has passed on? that was there with me feeling my grief, you know, whatever your belief lets you believe. That's what that hug was. And that brought some sort of soothing something. Yes. And that, again, between that, my dad's story. And again, Missy knows that, you know, I always wanted to get communication from my brother. (laughs) Um, And I even think she had, she had the opportunity. I think you all have talked about that on another podcast. You know, she had the opportunity to go be with uh, John Edwards. Is that right? It the crossing over with John Edwards show, and Susan said, "Yes, I want to hear from Phil. I want to hear from Phil." And so mm-hmm. I knew I need. I wanted to hear from <laughs> my grandma Malonia and Phil and my dad. And in that mm-hmm. order, he said, "Malonia, Phil, Dad, they're together." <laughs> <laughs> And then I froze in the audience and there's more of that story, another podcast, but I felt so guilty that I froze. I didn't want to tell Susan for a couple of weeks. (laughs) I I was surprised she didn't call and ask me number one. Um, I did validate later. I forgot to say this on the podcast. I did validate later because he said, Melonia, she died of a stroke. And I knew it was a car accident. Well, I, I did validate a few days later 
that after the car accident in the hospital, they needed to do surgery, but she had a stroke. So I found that out from my grandmother after the fact. So he was right on. And I I forgot to mention that in that podcast. So it was validated exactly what he said. But the guilt I had for not raising my hand so that I could connect with Phil for Susan. And when I finally did tell her, she had said, oh, I completely forgot you were going because. Mm -hmm. Yes, she had appeared in a dream to me. And I think it was um, that morning you said, actually, yeah. that morning that I was going on the show, he came to right. you in a dream. Right, right. And it, it was one of those fleeting things. I knew he was there. He didn't speak, but he was there. And that was kind of thing is what I needed. Yeah. And well, describe that dream a little bit, because you said this was one of your first dreams you'd ever had like that, right? Yeah. I, and I think it was it's so it's so far removed, I guess, in some senses. I It was a feeling more than anything. I knew he was there and I saw him and it's kind of like he would turn. I would try to speak to him, but he wouldn't, you know, just kind of smile. But you felt yeah. so good. And I you felt knew it was so, so good. Real. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just any little yes. thing helps these days. You know, and yes, yes, that is so true. And I guess the one not final, because I, I think he's appeared in other ways. My son had, uh, Michael had a ferret named Monkey. And we don't really know how old Monkey was. We adopted him from another family member. But this little ferret was so much fun. Up and down the hall would play chase. So great. My son was so, and daughter, too. Emma was little at the time. I'm thinking that Michael was maybe fourth grade and Emma was first grade. I think they were both school age. And it happened on Valentine's Day. But Michael had a dream a few days. Monkey passed on Valentine's Day. She had a heart attack or something in her cage, a seizure or something. It was quite traumatic. But Michael shared with us that a few days before, he had had a dream about his Uncle Phil. Now, remember, he and Uncle Phil had only been on this this side together for a year and a half. But he said he knew it was Uncle Phil. And in this dream, Uncle Phil asked if he could hold Monkey. And so Michael, in this dream, gave Monkey, his little ferret, to Uncle Phil. Oh, wow. And so the the way we look at it is that it was kind of a message from Uncle Phil to Michael saying, hey, it's okay. You can give me Monkey. I'm going to take care of her. Oh, that's so sweet. Oh, there's so many different ways that he's been in and around. It's inexplicable. And, you know, sometimes when you have those dreams and you can't really put a finger on exactly, oh, I saw him and we interacted this way, but you just wake up with that feeling that, oh, yes, he was here. Yep. Right. And that is so good to embrace that and to know it's, it's almost like what happened was your relationship with him had to change. And I actually like to think of it in the same way that I am moved across the United States from you. I'm just mm-hmm. in a different place <laughs> and it, <laughs> yeah. it's harder. And thanks to technology, we can communicate, mm-hmm. but in the same, but more complex way, when we lose our loved ones, we kind of change what our relationship is with them. 
and you've still kept him alive in your heart and in your family's mind and awareness. Emma knows of Uncle Phil and you, you know, and you would say the same thing of a one and a half year old, you know, he wouldn't have really known Uncle Phil, but the relationship that Michael had with his Uncle Phil is very unique, even, even Mm -hmm. at one and a half you know, whether their memory is just jogged by pictures that they've seen over and over and over again. Emma knows of Uncle Phil and a little bit here and there. I don't see that connection as much as I see, see the connection with Michael. And that could be my, my own projection. Yeah. And the transference. And the transference. Yeah. Because the transference is so, so complete. And because of that, I don't know that I have appropriately grieved the loss of my brother, if that makes any sense, because yes, I know he's not here with me. And I get angry at times, especially dealing with parents, as you alluded to, or having health challenges. And I'm, I'm stuck with pretty much handling it by myself. Fortunately, I have a very supportive husband who, who helps me along the way as well. But at the end of the day, it's, it's pretty much on my shoulders. So there, you know, there's some frustration and anger when you're expected, you know, like you said, Trish, you've got your siblings, they're there and you hope the plan is that you're going to go through life with them. I mean, I, I'm very fortunate that I consider you, Misty, you're my sister, you know, so I don't feel like an only, only child. And in fact, we just don't share the same parents, you know, I feel like I have sibling support in that sense. But as far as, you know, just frustration and anger that, you know, my brother was, he was a goofy, quirky, wonderfully intelligent guy that he, I really wanted my kids to have that crazy fun uncle like I had. Yeah. (laughs) Right. We recently talked about rituals and how we kept keep them alive doing rituals. Is there any kind of ritual that you do to help keep them alive in your heart? Well, he is, he's probably the last face I see before I go to bed other than my husband, because, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but I have my brother's picture on my bureau and it's a picture of that he and I took at my wedding because my dad being an ordained minister, he married my husband and me and my brother walked me down the aisle. So it's the picture that Philip and I took at my wedding and it, that's on one side. And on the other side is a picture of Philip and me when we were little. So in, in this frame side by side are the, you know, are, are those two pictures. And it's probably what I look at every night before I go to bed, whether it really hits my brain or not, that he's, he's there with me all the time. I remember early on after his passing that, you know, I would think about him every day and I promised him I, he would be a part of my life every day. I would not ever let his memory go. And then I remember having one day that I had gone the whole day and I hadn't thought about him and I got to the end of the day and I remembered that, oh my gosh, I had not thought about Philip all day today. I'm so horrible. I broke down. I was just beside myself that I, but those days would become more frequent. And it's not that he left me ever. He's always a part of me, but I think I could learn to give myself some grace that it's okay. He would want us to go on. He would want me to go on. I need to focus on my children. I don't need to focus on, on him. He's here, but there's a lot of grief that I have not gone through. I, in the process of downsizing my parents, I have obtained a lot of my brother's, I guess what was left of his possessions and I can't get rid of any of them. I've tried. (laughs) 
I feel you on that one because I had to clearing out the my parents' house. Oh, you know, it's so hard. Yeah, I didn't want to get rid of anything. <laughs> and everybody's right. like, we have a big dumpster, just toss it. I'm like, you have to toss it for me because I can't. Mm-hmm. That's it. And yes, I feel that same way. And it was my husband that gave me permission to, hey, listen, you don't have to. You don't have to. We will stick these boxes up in the attic. You don't have to go through it now. And this is, you know, so many years later, he died in 1998. You know, this is so many years later, you know, 20, what, 23 years later. And I, I still, I will, I cannot physically part. With it. I have t-shirts that my brother wore that I cannot <laughs> part with. They're still in my drawer. <laughs> right. I wear some of my dad's shirts. So I guess. Yes. I always say that I wear, I put on, sometimes I put on a shirt just because I need a hug. I need a hug from yeah, my yeah. brother. So hopefully when you wear it, one of your dad's shirts, you feel like it's a hug from my dad. Yes. <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah. I think it's interesting to point out that there's no time frame for getting over a loss and as many years as it has been, no one should ever tell you, you should be over it by now. And anybody who's listening, who is still holding on to the pain, they should know it's okay. Everybody is different. You were busy. You had to go forward with your life and it was easy to bury some things and not deal with some things. And now in the last couple of years, you have with your parents had to move them from their own single home into a retirement community townhome, and then into assisted living and in memory care in what feels like 24 months for all of that. Is that right? When they retired from their work in Indianapolis, they moved down and lived right, lived right around the corner from us here in Marietta, um, a suburb of Atlanta. And they lived, gosh, they, they helped raise my kids, and I'm, of which I'm so thankful. But they, we downsized them into uh, an independent living cottage in, in a progressive living community for retirement folk. And they were in that cottage for probably, uh, I don't know, two years, maybe, just prior to the world shutting down with COVID in March of 2020, we moved them into assisted living. and you know, the, the pros and cons of that, the pros, I didn't really worry about them because I knew they were getting three meals a day and being well cared for. Um, the con being that, you know, here we've give pretty massive shift going from independent living to assisted living and then not being able to really be with them. So fast forward to the world and community opening up a little bit more, at least here in Georgia, I think we opened up a lot faster or a lot sooner than California and getting in to see them again in their environment and realizing that so much has changed. I would try to see them once a week. We could see each other through the door as I would pass groceries and such and talk, of course, on the phone almost every day. But my dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's like three months before them going into assisted living. You know, hindsight 2020, he'd been he'd been failing for quite a few years prior to that. But with the official diagnosis was in at the end of 2019. But realizing when I when I was back with them that both of them were struggling a little bit with some dementia issues. My dad, obviously, we knew that, but um, also seeing it with my mom. So it's been an eventful, I guess, reopening in 2021 with my dad being able to go over to the daycare program over at Memory Care, realizing that he was really 
getting a lot of benefit from that type of stimulation and then watching my mom start failing it in a different way. So it's been a long few months, but we've moved them over now to memory care. Their memory loss is very different from one another. My dad's seems to be the more traditional, though he still recognizes me. He seems to still recognize my husband. He seems to recognize my children, though he does often ask, who my daughter is. And I think it's just because she changes her hair color often. So she looks different <laughs> in every picture. How can you keep track, right? <laughs> right, right. This looks like a different girl. But he's he's also been a good faker for a number of years. Mm-hmm. My mom, not an actual diagnosis, but we think she has Parkinson's dementia, which presents itself quite differently. Mm-hmm. And she's prone to sundowning and acting out very impulsively. Though when she's healthy and everything is well, she's still as sweet as she can be. And most days she can tell me everything that she's done, just being a little confused on the timeline. But then there are some days that uh, you just can't really get a good conversation going. So it's hard. You've actually also been called in the middle of the night. She has terrors or attacks or panic attacks or something in the middle of the night, yes. doesn't she? she? She'll get up and start moving around or she'll, we kind of giggle at her because she will get up. And now she is in a wheelchair. Prior to that, she was on a rollator walker, but the lady can unplug everything in the apartment and how she can get behind the television and unplug the television and the cable box and the lamps and everything else. But somehow in the middle of the night, she will do these kind of things. And of course, you know, anybody that's unstable, they're going to fall over. And so, yes, we've gotten phone calls in the middle of the night that she's unstable. She's and again being prone to sundowning. She's actually now on oxygen. So when she was in the hospital, I had to stay with her for 10 days. I was fortunate that they allowed me to, but I was the only person they would allow to stay with her. And it was you know, I had two of us in a teeny little hospital room, but that was the only way I can keep her to have her oxygen in because she couldn't remember to keep it on. It's been challenging. <laughs> It's challenging. And I constantly feel like I have to fight for quality care. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother podcast. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. No, you've got to be elder care. (laughs) And that's what, you know, I want to ask you if you had, you know, for people who are out there who've lost a sibling or they're even dealing with their parents who have dementia and this kind of stress and, you know, a lot of us and a lot of people just want to curl up in a bed and knock it out and knock it yeah. up or drink yeah. it away. But how have you always remained so positive? I mean, there's not a moment that goes by that you're not smiling, looking at you now, even when you're <laughs> telling your story, you are smiling. You're a positive, loving inspiration to others. You work, you have this in your past, you have family and you're caring for your parents. And I don't know what you would say to other people who are trying to juggle and deal and keep moving? Well, I think part of it is a belief system that I will see my brother again. I was also close to our Gigi, our grandmother, Mm -hmm. and was with her when she passed. And I hold to that, that I will get to see her again, Mm -hmm. you know, and our granddaddy and, Mm -hmm. you know, my uncle and so many people that have passed. I hold to that knowing that this is one step in existence and there are other steps in existence. I really do hold to that. You know, 
life on this side is hard. <laughs> yeah, it, does. it sucks at times. It mm-hmm. really does. Mm-hmm. But we all carry a certain amount of weight. We all do. Mm-hmm. And like Trish, like you know, we were sharing just prior to going on that, you know, yes, we're all carrying burdens and we don't always wear them on the outside. We wear them on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. You know, there's times to fall apart and to deal with them. And there are times that we just have to lean into the positive things that are going on in our life, mm-hmm. like lean into, you know, I'm very happy and prayerfully optimistic if my kids are on a good path. And I lean into that, you know, right. my husband has had some health challenges and thankfully he's, he's healthy and doing quite well right now. So, you know, I have to lean into that. And I guess it's more holding, holding true to the moment and finding a joy that can only be found deep down. It's not a joy that necessarily can be found externally. It's an internal joy. And I, I don't know. It is being present and aware and having gratitude for what you do have around you right now. I think Mm -hmm. that is a very key piece of advice Mm -hmm. to look around and honor and appreciate respect and be grateful for what you have around you now. And it doesn't hurt to have that faith and belief that we're all going to be reunited again, you know, and with these feelings that you've had of the hug, your dad being visited by Philip, Philip, you know, even wanting to hold monkey. Those Mm -hmm. are signs to me that they are still alive. They are still with us in a different way. And we will see them again. That does help bring me peace for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I owe a lot of it because as, as you, I think you've mentioned in previous podcasts, Misty, you and I, we've traveled down these roads together Mm -hmm. of love and loss, Mm -hmm. but it, it is knowing that you're not traveling alone. That also brings peace. Yeah. And it's the lessons that we learn from each other. And yeah. I know the many lessons and the many nights that we've been up all night talking and you know, our, our husbands would find us asleep on the couch. That's the true. Because <laughs> we stayed That's up true. all night and just fell asleep talking <laughs> that, that hold to it. And I think the one thing I hold to is something that you mentioned a, a while back, especially with all the research and things that you have done is that, you know what? No one knows for sure, but if it makes us feel good, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. That's right. Yes, that's right. But I truly believe it's more. Mm-hmm. There's more. It's not, yeah. it's not just a belief because there's too many of us that feel that way. Absolutely. Exactly. And that's what we're hoping we can provide to people is so they don't feel alone. They've got this community mm-hmm. or podcast, and we're going to be developing more on a Facebook page as well so that people don't feel alone. But to your to take your advice, I think people need to make sure they've got somebody to reach out to and to talk to. Yeah. And always remember, they live within you as well. Mm-hmm. So never forget that they're with you and they live with you every day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. So email us at trisha.misty.tm at gmail.com. You can also go to our website, survivingdeathanddying.com for links to the books we talk about. So please like, share, subscribe, and follow. Well, we did it again. We survived death and dying 
another episode because we believe life and love never dies. <laughs>